You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm your host, Jordan Hill. We have the whole crew with us on this Tuesday afternoon. Getting ready for, fellas, can you believe it, the final SEC regular season game for the Bulldogs this year. Georgia will be headed to Knoxville for a 3.30 Eastern time showdown with the Tennessee Volunteers. Second to last regular season game for the Bulldogs this year before they go to Atlanta and play Georgia Tech. A lot to discuss on this episode, and fellas, let's start with Georgia's most recent win, the 52-17 victory over Ole Miss on Saturday night. Georgia ends the season undefeated at home, a very commanding victory. I believe at one point Georgia had scored 31 unanswered. Kip and Ben, you guys were both there on hand for this game. And I'll start with you, Kip. We're a few days removed from this big win for the Bulldogs. What still sticks with you from how that performance played out and what the Bulldogs were able to do against a really good Rebels team? Well, I think my first reaction is that recruiting matters. Um, Jamon Dumas Johnson, you know, being out, um, what does Georgia do? They they slide in a top 50 uh, overall prospect, a freshman in C.J. Allen that we've talked about. We've praised at every single opportunity. And uh, unsurprisingly, he came out there and looked really good uh, after that first drive, which, again, credit uh, – I mean, give him some credit – all of Georgia's defense uh, plays at a different level on, on the first drive, but they took advantage of CJ on that first drive and, and both freshman linebackers with Raylan Wilson out there getting snaps too. But after that, he kind of locked in and just looked like the next great, you know, inside linebacker for Georgia, which it feels like we've, we've named four or five of them at this point on, on this defense. So uh, I, I think it's a reminder that Georgia recruits at a level under Kirby Smart to be able to handle uh, their star players being out. I mean, we saw it, you know, even when Brock Bowers returned, but with him out there, you just saw different guys stepping up. Uh, Amarius Mims not being out there, you saw, you know, uh, different guys stepping up. And so now you kind of got a glimpse at maybe what a complete team looks like for Georgia, especially with that offensive line, which easily for me, their best performance of the season – uh, you know, Carson Beck not even being touched, Georgia running for 300 yards. Uh, this overall was just the, the performance we kind of been waiting on all year. 611 yards of offense in that win. Ben, how about you? What, what sort of sticks with you with how Georgia was able to play against the Rebels? 
I think that somehow, even though I think we've given them a lot of praise, I think this offense still hasn't gotten its just due yet. Like, I mean, four touchdowns through four possessions in a game. I mean, it feels like this Georgia team is the type of team you just don't want to face if it feels like you're good enough to beat them. Um, I think that we've seen a couple of times already this year, the, the hype train leading up to a game has seemingly brought out the most vicious version of this Georgia football team. Um, the, I mean, the offense was just really impressive. Carson Beck surprises me every single week, even though Kirby Smart has said all year long how composed he is, how collected he is, how much of a grasp he has of this offense, how much they believe in him and much how much trust they put in him to run everything the way that it needs to be run. I still come away impressed by Carson Beck. Um, you know, it was just I, – I think that that's really my big takeaway. Mike Bobo probably had his best game – of the year. And I think that if you look at it through the lens of this is probably going to be the best year of Mike Bobo's offensive coordinator career. I mean, are we looking at, did we just watch the best game of Mike Bobo's entire coaching career last weekend? I think there's a case to be made for it. Um, But yeah, I mean, this Georgia team has proven to me enough times that no level of doubt is an appropriate level of doubt for this team. I mean, you, you we could sit here and say, I've, I've done it the last few weeks and I could do it again. Why does this team give up opening drive touchdowns? I, it, at a certain point, I can't keep bringing these things up like they matter. It's just sort of the way that it is. And this offense is going to score plenty enough points to crush its opponents that it's much more talented than. Yeah, what did Kirby say after the game? He's learned to become patient uh, when it comes to that opening drive. Yeah, I think his exact words, too, were like, well, I know they're going to get one. <laughs> uh, some of the other things, I wasn't with you guys for that game, but watched it after the fact and watched a good chunk of it live. Uh, we got to talk about Brock Bowers. I mean, this guy is unreal. You know, we had heard throughout the week enough that made me feel comfortable saying he is going to play. But I was putting a cap on it, and I said, you know, he'll probably play 10 or 15 snaps. Guys, according to Pro Football Focus, he played 45 snaps and didn't look any different to me than he did before he got hurt. Just unreal, had that touchdown catch, which I'm sure meant a whole lot to him in the second half. Um, We already knew this, but Brock Bowers is just of a different breed and of a different kind, just an outstanding football player. Besides that, um, I wrote about this on Tuesday Um, With the run game, I feel like it's really hitting its stride. You know, Kendall Milton, Ben, you were on this very early in that game saying, is this Kendall Milton's best game as a Georgia Bulldog? And he only added to it, an outstanding game. And it kind of goes back to the point that Kip made earlier that it seems like everything's kind of coming together with this team. A big chunk of that is because of health. You know, they've had guys out. They've had to move the rotation, say, like with the offensive line. But it really feels like things are going in the right direction just with this team. And you couldn't pick a better time of the year to do that. I did want to mention, too, as we were uh, talking here with the offensive line, I saw an alert that they are one of the semifinalists for the Joe Moore Award. Um, So we'll see if they wind up winning that award. They finished second two years in a row, and I believe both times to the Michigan Wolverines. Um, So that will be a point of pride, I'm sure. Um, But, yeah, there's – the little things you could break down and criticize with that game, you know, there was a very weird end of the first half where they kind of mismanaged the clock. Um, you had a few slip-ups here and there with some of those younger guys, Raylan Wilson giving up a big play on that opening drive. But at the end of the day, you got to look at the score and say they beat a number nine team by five touchdowns. And you say, hey, 
very successful day and you move on and, and uh, you know, potentially sit two games away from another perfect regular season. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder whether maybe Georgia's defense kind of plays it safe by design on the opening drive just to maybe get a look at the opposing offense and what they're, the looks they're trying to give and then kind of gets aggressive after that. You know, I'm not trying to make excuses for it. I'm sure Kirby would rather have a three and out to open the game. But it, it does seem like just uh, the defense kind of changes gears uh, after that first drive. So there might just be some design to that where they're just given a vanilla look and, and kind of playing off a little bit and then kind of cranking it up and, and getting more aggressive as the game goes on. I think this week's was a little bit fluke. I hate using the word fluky too, but I think it was a little bit fluky too. I mean, they forced a third and 14. Sanford Stadium was rocking, got the penalty on the first play of the game. Third and 14, you're sitting in that situation, I think, saying like, all right, Georgia's dusted off its first possession defensive woes. They're about to force a three and out. This place is going crazy. And then they pick up 13 yards on that third down play. And in typical Lane Kiffin fashion, of course, he was going to go for it, even though they were deep in their own territory. And I think that sort of just broke the back of the defense on that one specific possession. But I think the fact that they forced them into a third and 14 on that possession, they forced them into a third and six in that possession. We talked about it all last week, how important first and second down were going to be in this game to force those third and mediums, third and longs. And the fact that they did that twice on the opening possession was probably more of a sign of what was to come than the fact that Ole Miss was able to score a touchdown. With this being the last home game of the season for Georgia, obviously a lot of recruits on hand taking in the atmosphere in Sanford Stadium. Ben, what can you tell us about those who visited for that big game and any of your big takeaways from those visitors? For sure. And I'm going to have Kip clean me up with any that I miss here as well. But the, the, I'll start with the three official visitors. Anytime there are official visitors on campus for a game weekend, I think that we should start there. And so there were two junior college guys, a defense, all, all three of them were defensive linemen, by the way, which I think says a lot about where that position group is at this point in the cycle compared to all of the other position groups. But two of them were junior college guys, Brian Taylor from Blend Junior College, a junior college that I think everyone is very familiar with. Five-tech defensive end, someone at a really good time this weekend. He will take two other official visits over the next few weeks to, I want to say, Tennessee and Florida. There could be another one out there as well that I could be blanking on, but someone that I think Georgia is in a really good spot for at a position that I think Georgia has missed a couple of cycles, not just this cycle. I think they've missed at that five tech defensive end spot. I think they want to backfill a little bit there. So sort of stacking classes, a Juco guy and Brian Taylor would make a lot of sense at that position. Another guy, Jaden Hamlin. He's another Juco defensive lineman, more of an interior defensive lineman, not an area that I think Georgia is as desperate at necessarily. So I think that they have some things to still figure out there in terms of what they're going to do with interior defensive linemen, whether that be, guys that they take in the 2024 class, whether they that be guys that they seek out in the portal when it opens on December 4th, or potentially, you know, looking at some of these Juco guys like Jaden Hamlin. Um, the other one is a Florida commit. We've talked about him a lot over the last few weeks, Nasir Johnson. He's an interior defensive lineman as well that has been committed to Florida for some time. He's been at Georgia for a few games this year. He was back for the Ole Miss game on an official visit. I just wrote about this on the site, so you can go check it out in a little bit, you know, in more depth. I'm not at the point yet where I would be predicting Nasir Johnson into Georgia's class, even though there is a lot of buzz out there about that as a possibility. I think it could get to that point. 
I just think there's a few things that need to shake out with his recruitment before that is determined. So I'll start with those three official visitors of guys that were not on official visits. The most notable news item to me, and normally this isn't the case when a committed guy shows up on campus, that's really not huge news because it's like, Oh, he's committed to Georgia. Of course he's on a visit for a big game. Wide receiver Nitro Tuggle has been a name that everybody has been asking questions about for months. He hasn't been to a Georgia game this year. People have started to worry. He had scheduled an official visit to Michigan for the Ohio State game later in the month. And I think since he's been back at Indiana, he didn't end up staying at IMG Academy. Since he's been back in Indiana for his high school season, I think there's been some worry about what's going on with Nitro Tuggle. Is he going to end up in this class? Does Georgia need to have concern? And I think the answer to that question has been yes for the better part of the last few weeks. Getting him back on campus was huge. He was spending a lot of time with Sakovi White, the other committed wide receiver in the class, with Dylan Riola. That goes without saying. They had a lot of time with Brian McClendon before the game, after the game. I think coming out of the weekend, Georgia probably feels pretty good about where, where things stand with Nitro Tuggle. Just the fact that they were able to get him back on campus when that had become a question of concern over the last several weeks. So getting him back, huge I do think that Georgia has done a good job of locking him into that this class, which then begs the question, what else happens at wide receiver this cycle? There's not many spots left, I wouldn't say, and I think that Georgia will entertain the portal at that position as well. So maybe only one spot left at receiver with Cam Michael decision coming up on Thanksgiving Day, North Carolina State commit Terrell Anderson, who had come off of an official visit a couple of weeks ago. Um I guess the most other I know I've been, you know, monologuing here about recruits, but I guess the uh, the other name that I would probably mention is Julian Lewis, the number one quarterback, number one recruit in the 2026 cycle. He's committed to Southern Cal, but this is his second or third time at Georgia since making that commitment. And again, still too far off to say that anything's truly happening with Julian Lewis, but he's going to be one of the top recruits that Georgia chases in that cycle. We've seen it time and time again with. Carson Beck, Gunnar Stockton, Brock Vandegrift, Dylan Riola, Georgia flips quarterbacks. That's what they do in the high school recruiting realm. And so I think Julian Lewis is someone that people are going to be looking at for a long time until he actually signs that dotted line. And I think Georgia is going to be a factor in that recruitment throughout. Can't Can't yeah, go for yeah. it. Yeah. So I like to stick with, uh, you know, 2024 prospects at this point in the cycle. I know they had a lot of big time 2025 and as you mentioned 2026 guys on campus but this is kind of that time of the year where everyone's you know i start to uh kind of glance at that early signing period and wondering you know how georgia's gonna fill its last couple of spots and you know as we record this podcast georgia's almost full and we've said that you know 27 guys committed let's uh let's just assume that cam michael picks georgia Let's just say he uh, he plays wide receiver, comes in as a wide receiver for Georgia. Right now, Georgia's got three DB commitments on board, an outstanding trio. Ellis Robinson, probably the best cover corner, maybe the best overall talent in this cycle. DeMello Jones and, uh, and Andre Evans, a couple of four stars who, again, have really their stock's been up. They can play anywhere in the secondary. But – more and more, it seems like Georgia is still looking to add another DB to this class. And the reason I say that is because they had, again, uh, Marcellus Barnes Jr. from McCallie School in, in Chattanooga on campus. He visited for the Kentucky game. You know, he's on campus again this past weekend. You look and see, okay, 6'2", 170. Well, I mean, that, that 
Files Ryder or a Kirby Smart DB. Uh, it just so happens that he is, you know, right now committed to Virginia Tech. But again, you get a guy on campus twice, um, you need to start paying attention most likely. And this is a guy that committed to the Hokies back in June. Obviously, Georgia has evaluated him, and and it looks like I I think they, you know, they've verified that he checks off the boxes they want. He probably ran for him this summer, I'm assuming. So they had him on the board and. He's probably moved up this season. I know he's having a a strong senior season or has. And also, he's looking heavily at Ole Miss. I believe he will be at Ole Miss this next weekend. He just saw both programs. Some would say he probably saw Ole Miss and probably thinks he can come right in and make an impact there with what he saw on the the field. But I think right now you got to start paying attention to his recruitment because if you get a guy on campus multiple times on unofficial visits – uh, they're probably going to work towards setting up an official visit. I, I think that's that's one of those to watch. As even though Georgia's got you know only a handful of spots left, I, I think this is a guy that can play anywhere in the secondary and makes sense. If you're going to bring in a guy like Ken McHell and you're telling him, hey, you can play wide receiver, then it probably changes the the board a little bit as far as DB spots and you know whether they get one in high school or the portal. I think they're going to add another DB to the roster, and I think that Marcellus Barnes is a guy to watch because, by all accounts, he was really impressed on that Kentucky visit. Uh, I can't imagine that he didn't really enjoy himself on on, on that Georgia visit, uh, uh, the, the Ole Miss game as well. So uh, I think that's a recruitment to watch, and I think he's just one of those guys where you're not really looking at that that rating right now. If if Kirby Smart and that coaching staff lock locks in on, on a three star DB, probably a pretty good player. Take a quick break, come back, talk about Tuesday's playoff rankings, the SEC coaching changes that have already taken place, and Georgia getting ready to go to Knoxville. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back, everybody. Well, before we turn the page to the volunteers, Tuesday night they will have another edition of the college football playoff rankings. I believe it will be a little bit later tonight than we are used to so far because of college basketball. But, guys, it really seems like Georgia will have a shot to move up from number two. 
I'll start with you, Ben. Does Georgia end tonight with the number one ranking in the playoff? And if not, what do you feel like uh, is holding them back if that does not happen? I, I do think that they will be number number one in tonight's ranking. I mean, I think that the reason that Ohio State has been one, and I know that there's been a lot of people that have been upset about it. I think that the committee has been consistent for years now in terms of how they do these early season rankings when it comes to do you have wins against other teams that are ranked highly in the early college football playoff committee rankings. And the answer for Georgia initially was no. The answer after the last two weeks is a resounding yes. The Missouri win got better week over week. The Ole Miss win will probably drop down to being something similar to Ohio State's best win, which is now Penn State. So I think Georgia's two best wins are arguably better than Ohio State's two best wins. Now, just as a, just as the committee's own rankings would suggest, not even my own personal opinion on those wins or those teams or anything like that. So I do think that and the fact that Georgia just won by 35 points, you know, you look at the not that this is how they're weighing things, but you look at the Ohio State-Penn State game, that game combined to score 32 points. Georgia's coming off a win that's basically equal to the Penn State win, winning by a margin of 35. I think that it's clear to me at this point Georgia will be number one. I think the question might actually be, did Michigan do enough in its win against Penn State to feel like it warrants a jump over Ohio State? Um, and then, you know, I think that the, the Washington-Florida State debate is probably a little bit more interesting this week than last as well. But I do see Georgia jumping up to number one. Kip, how about you? I think not only does, I mean, Georgia now have probably the, you know, the best overall win, the most dominant top 10 win. They got the best second win. I mean, you look at Missouri. I imagine they're going to be the top two loss team, you know, in these rankings. And so you just look at overall now, Georgia's got that, that combination of resume and then, you know, recency uh, bias on the, on the eye test. Um, they look right now as if they're playing the best football. And, and so I think right now you have to just acknowledge if you're putting Ohio state number one right now, then you're trying to send a message that you just think Ohio state's a better team. And I, I just, I don't know how you go at, you know, off this weekend with Ohio state, beating a three and seven Michigan team that's, you know, kind of not really playing for anything right now. That's, that's, that's a resume. That's not really a resume builder. So uh, I think right now you, you kind of look at uh, overall Ohio state, you know, the win at Wisconsin, um, you know, I think doesn't really look impressive at all right now. They just lost to a five and five Northwestern team. So now both teams are five and five. Um, so now you got what Notre Dame, Maryland, Penn state and Rutgers as, as your premier opponents and the Penn state win now takes a hit as well. So I think overall, you just don't have that resume to, to stack up, uh, against Georgia's two best wins. And I, I, I am interested to see if, if Washington jumps Florida state, I think they should at number four. Um, I mean, the, the fact that they, they shut out Utah in the second half, um, uh, Michael Penix Jr. is out there just you know, making the the best case to be, I guess, maybe the Heisman runner-up. But I, I just think he's just had an outstanding year. And I think overall, that's that's enough to kind of put you up uh, over Florida State, who, I mean, they're going to continue to struggle uh, to really put up any resume builders. Uh, I don't think they really dominated an unranked Miami team over the weekend. So for me, I would have Florida State at five, and, and I would have Washington moving up to number four. 
I think that's where I fall too. And we were talking about this with some folks over the weekend. How much of a travesty is it that this is not the first year of the 12 team playoff? I mean, there's going to be some really good teams with great cases to be in the playoff and there's just not going to be room this year. Honestly, you look at the win over Ole Miss and that makes a strong case that maybe you shouldn't have a 12 team playoff. You just had a, you know, a, a top 10 team and get obliterated. And you had Lane Kiffin out there just basically saying, I don't have a roster, anything like that roster. Um, that That's a strong case that that maybe it shouldn't expand to 12 teams. Just be, I mean, you, you, you love a good upset, but I think he came in acknowledging like a lot of things would have had to happen for us to, to be more competitive in that football game. I will say the nightmare scenario for Georgia is certainly playing out or the possibility for playing out. If Georgia wins the next two weeks, loses to Alabama and Atlanta, which again, I'm not predicting that Georgia will be favored in that game, but we're looking at the possibility of a team that's won 29 straight games going back to back seasons, 12 and 0 in the regular season. They lose one game and all of a sudden all these other teams that also will have losses would have theoretically better cases to be in the playoff over Georgia. I, uh, I hope for the people listening that I would assume is almost 100% Georgia fans. I would hope for their sake that that doesn't end up happening. But it's not a far-fetched. And that that Sunday debate leading up to that 12 o'clock show would just be nightmarish on the boards. I can only imagine the conversations that would be had, the arguments that would be had. Um, So let's all cross our fingers and hope that that doesn't happen. Right. And no, I think it's a very fair thing to point out because if Georgia loses – to Alabama, it would be very susceptible to being left out of the playoff. And it's going to be something that you know, they uh, are going to have to take care of business. Otherwise, they're going to need a lot of chaos on that conference championship Saturday uh, because there will be some teams right there nipping at the hills uh, that could slide in there instead. Turning the attention to this week's game, Georgia getting ready to go to Neyland Stadium for a big showdown with Tennessee. You know, we thought there could be some very big stakes in this game. Tennessee, last week, if they were able to beat Missouri, the Vols would have still been eligible to win the SEC East. They would have needed to beat Georgia in this game. Tennessee loses 36-7 to against Missouri. Cody Schrader for the Tigers had an outstanding game and uh, really ran over the Vols and sort of took a little bit of the sting or the excitement of this game out. Uh, because Tennessee can no longer win the East. But you sort of turn the page to where Tennessee is sort of only playing for the chance to be spoiler. And we know what Tennessee is capable of doing. Uh, They've had some big moments these past few years. Josh Heupel's offense, obviously, very effective. Uh, Had a chance to talk to Kirby Smart, a couple players on Monday, getting ready for this game with the balls. Kirby made sure to really talk about how strong of a run game Tennessee has. I believe they are second in the SEC right now in rushing yards per game. Very effective and with two or three different backs and uh, makes them very dangerous. Another very good defensive line, Rodney Garner, a guy that Georgia fans should remember well. And I'm sure that Ben and I both uh, remember those connections and the guys he coached while he was at Auburn. Uh, Rodney is Tennessee's defensive line coach, and they played very well. I believe they sacked Brady Cook three times in that game last week. Uh, so this is going to be a very interesting matchup, even with the fact that Tennessee has been eliminated from the SEC East race. Um, I'll start with you, Ben. What interests you the most with this matchup between Georgia and Tennessee? What do you need to see on Saturday? Or what is the thing you are most intrigued about seeing on Saturday? 
Well, probably sort of what you mentioned right there is I think there's some misconceptions about this Tennessee football team just because of what we learned about them last year. I mean, they run the ball and they ran the ball well last year, but they run the ball so effectively this season. And I know that this took a little bit of a hit last week in terms of what Cody Schrader was able to do against them on the ground and in the passing game. But yards per play wise, opponent yards per play wise, Tennessee's had one of the best defenses in college football this season again took a, a hit last week that sort of skewed those numbers a little bit, but almost a little bit of a role reversal. I mean, I think that this Georgia team is the kind of team that can just hang 50 on anyone on a given day, you know, when opportunity presents itself or when it's required. And I think that's how a lot of people felt about Tennessee last year. Like, Oh, can you beat this team? Cause they can just hang 50 on you whenever. That's how I feel about this Georgia team right now. Now, Georgia still has a Kirby smart defense on the other side of it as well, which makes it more of a threat than Tennessee ever was going to be last year. But I think, you know, the interesting thing for me is it's a road game. Carson Beck brought this up. I think it was last week. He's really only played one true road game this year. I mean, yes, the Vanderbilt nightmare was, you know, a road game in theory, but the, the Auburn game was really the only true road test and they took Georgia to the brink. I mean, it was the only time all season that Georgia really had to pull out all the stops late in the fourth quarter to pull out a win. And so I think how does this group respond? We, you know, I've mentioned it already on this podcast, how composed it feels like they are, no matter the circumstance. I think this weekend will be the true test of how composed they really are. If they get through this test and it looks like, the Ole Miss game, or it looks like the Kentucky game. I know those were in Sanford Stadium, not on the road. But if it looks anything like that, I would not want to be playing this Georgia football team down the stretch here. I mean, I think that if they can come out of this Ole Miss-Tennessee stretch winning as dominantly as they have in big games so far this season, um, yeah, I would uh, I would not put my money against, uh, against Georgia going down the stretch. Kip, what about you? What are you most interested in seeing in Neyland Stadium? Well, yeah, just that progression of Carson Beck. I also think it you got to look at Georgia's offensive line. Um, it was first, it was Missouri, you know, Missouri, then Ole Miss. They've kind of been um, cranking up the pass protection against improved pass rushing teams. And that's what I said. I, I thought that, you know, Missouri had a, a very aggressive pass rush. Ole Miss was, I think, number two or number three in the conference in sacks per game coming in. And now Tennessee comes in. They are number two in the SEC and they're top 10 in the country at uh, 3.3 sacks per game. So if you want to see, you know, a Carson Beck road performance that's better than the Auburn game, then protect him like he did against Ole Miss. And you probably give yourself a pretty good chance of doing that. On the flip side, it just doesn't look like Josh Heupel's learned from his mistakes. You go from Hendon Hooker to Joe Milton. And I said, going into the year, how about you, you lean on those running backs uh, and, and don't let tempo, you know, just wear you out. And once again, they're worse in the conference and bottom like five in the country in time of possession. And same thing with penalties. And it's interesting. They're, they're just as bad at home as they are on the road, which is just, you know, almost unheard of, you know, you think you could handle it uh, with the home crowd. Uh, but yeah, they were uh, averaging like 70 to 73 penalty yards a game. And it's, it's about 70 at home. Uh, that's, that's a ton of penalties. Um, I, I think that, 
you know, that's kind of a sign that, you know, something's not right there. If you're having nine penalties, 70 yards a game at home, um, you got to change a little bit about what you're doing, whether it's how you're getting the plays in um, or if maybe you need to take more time to get those plays in. Like I said, uh, there's something fundamentally wrong and it's it's affecting uh, their performance on the football field. And I saw that last year with Alabama. Everyone said that, you know, it was one of the least disciplined teams they'd ever seen under uh, Saban. Well, that's kind of where uh, this Tennessee team is right now. And I think it, it really puts them, you know, I mean, it literally puts them behind the chains and puts them behind schedule. And Georgia should be able to take advantage of that. Kip hit on what I think is one of the things I'm most interested in with this game, and it's Joe Milton. Uh, I've been a little underwhelmed with how he's played. You know, there was a lot of hype about him, that big arm he has. But to me, obviously, Tennessee's run game is going to be a big factor in this. But if they're able to make explosive plays, I think that will determine if this is a four-quarter game or if Georgia's able to jump on the balls early. So to me, Joe Milton's got to have his biggest game of the season. He's got to be able to fire it deep. I think they're pretty beat up at wide receiver right now, if I'm not mistaken. Um, So I think a lot is going to be on Joe Milton, and he's going to have to show up, play really well in this big home game if Tennessee's going to have a chance. Make sure and plug at 10 a.m. Eastern time on Wednesday. Patrick Brown from Go Vols 24-7 will be on with me. We're going to go into full detail with that Tennessee-Georgia matchup, uh, see what we think, see what we can learn about the Vols, and get ready for that Saturday afternoon game. Uh, Turn the page, guys, and talk a little bit about what's been going on in the SEC and uh, what has been going on in the SEC this week has been a couple coaches getting pink slips. Started on Sunday with Jimbo Fisher being fired by Texas A&M. The next day, Mississippi State fired Zach Arnett. Kip, I'll start with you. Two very different situations between those two programs. Uh, But what are your initial thoughts just about those teams making moves? And uh, give us a prediction with each of those teams who they wind up hiring. Yeah, I mean, with Texas A&M, we kind of just were always, I mean, I think one of the top uh, Google searches over the last three or four years has been Jimbo Fisher's buyout. Uh, you know, everybody's just trying to get the update of when it's affordable for them. And I guess, you know, at the $75 million mark, uh, that's when the, the oil money kind of stepped up and said, uh, let's go ahead and get this done. It's obviously shocking. Uh, that is a, a lot of money to just pay someone to not work. Uh, we are all in the wrong business, obviously. But for them, it's kind of, you know, what is your limit? Uh, you know, are you going to once again open up the checkbook and just think you're going to buy your way into you know being relevant again? Are you going to go, over, you know, try and get Kalen DeBoer at, at Washington? Uh, I think that would be, I guess, the, you know, the big money name, uh, assuming that what Dan Lanning said um, on Monday night is what he sticks with as far as staying at Oregon. Um, for me, I'm, you know, I think you got to look at assistance out there. Obviously, I think with both these openings, Glenn Schumann is going to be mentioned. Um, for me, if if you want the kind of uh, the best of both worlds, you don't want to break the bank, but you want someone with experience. I mean, I just think Mike Elko makes the most sense uh, just because, again, he's coached there uh, for four years. Um, you know, they their defense was one of the more – the better ones in the conference and he was there and he's proven himself to, to be solid at, at Duke. And I had to think 
you've got to stop trying to hit a grand slam. You've already gone out there and broke the bank and it has not worked out. Just get somebody who's qualified to kind of set a baseline for your performance. And I, I think that, that he would be the, the guy that I would look at there. Um, for Mississippi State, I cannot believe that you gave Zach Arnett, I mean, not even a calendar year, I guess. Um, I understand, you know, uh, four and six isn't, you know, isn't great. I've seen Mississippi State be four and six before and, you know, go on to the next year. Uh, he had a really tough situation stepping in. You know, nobody had planned on obviously there being a coach opening there because of, you know, the passing of Mike Leach. But I think that it was a hasty move, but now it's already done. I would go and get Jamie Chadwell without hesitation. Uh, I, I think that should be the first guy you make him say no. Um, he's been great at wherever he's been. You know, he's not coached to the Power 5 level, but that is the kind of coach that you need to set your sights on um, because, again, you're not going to go out there and you're not going to beat Texas A&M for candidates. So I just think before, uh, you know, more openings come up and you have more competition, go get Jamie Chabot. He's done a great job everywhere he's been. I think uh, he's going to continue doing well uh, at Liberty or wherever he coaches at next. Ben, outside of champion for yourself to get the Texas A&M job, uh, what do you make of that position? Who's your prediction? And also your thoughts on Mississippi State. So, I mean, the Texas A&M job to, I don't know if you guys saw the clip too. They sent out like a $160 million check or something that they showed at halftime. And it was like, this is the Jimbo Fisher's about to get fired check basically. Um, you know, it's crazy to me to think that you would spend $78 million to go hire Duke's coach. I understand the connection with Mike Elko. I understand that he was there and they were much more successful as a program when he was. And I'm going to side with Kim. I'm going to say that to me, that's the most likely option that I think lands there. It is just wild to me to think you're, you know, and again, I actually side with, if you think that you want to fire a coach, 78 million sounds crazy, but you're going to pay him that money anyways. Do you want to pay him that money now and get him out of your hair so that you can save five years of your life? Or do you want to just, you know, wait five years and end up paying him the money and probably see the same results that you've already seen. So I don't necessarily disagree with the firing as crazy as it sounds. I just think that they seem the type of program that they want to go make a splash hire. You know, they've hired a national championship coach away from Florida state the last time that they did it. I think that's what they'll do, but I would be crazy to sit here and like name a specific person that I think, is going to that it would be so my prediction is that they make a splash higher that i have no clue who it is but because i don't know who it is i'm going to go with the safe answer that kip went with mike elko just because the fit seems there even though again paying 78 million dollars to somebody else to go hire duke's head coach that just lost to north carolina it's, i mean again he's, he's had a great season but it's like he's coming off of a loss to his biggest rival i mean it's not like he's you know out here just like blowing people out of the water and he's you know sh shocking everyone but you know, all that said, I guess I'll go with Mike Elko. On the Mississippi State side of things, who I would hire, I'd look at the Oregon State's head coach, Jonathan Smith. I know that he doesn't really have ties to the area. It might sound crazy, but he doesn't have a conference to go to. If you're Mississippi State, you say, what, you know, what do we need to look for in a head coach? And it's someone that can build a program in a place that you wouldn't ordinarily expect it to be built. I mean, he's built a top 15 caliber program at Oregon State and no conference even wants them. 
And so it's like, all right, this is a coach that can clearly build something somewhere that you're not supposed to. He got Clemson's quarterback, and I know he's a West Coast guy, but he got Clemson's quarterback to go across the country in the transfer portal to be there. So he's proven that he can go identify a quarterback that can help the program, get him in in the transfer portal. So that's who I would go with. I would be shocked if an SEC school went out and hired Oregon State's head coach. So I'm not saying that I think that's who they're going to hire. That's just who I would hire. I'm going to make give the boring answer because Kip's already given him. I think Jamie Chadwell makes a lot of sense just from regionality, the success that he's had at the places that he's been. To my point around Jonathan Smith, he's proven that he can, you know, Jamie Chadwell's proven that he can build a program at places you wouldn't necessarily expect to find success. I know he didn't have to build Liberty, but he's obviously sustained something there that people probably didn't expect to be sustained when Hugh Freeze left. Ben, you hit on a big point when it comes to Texas A&M. I just think they're going to swing for the freaking fences with this hire. I think Mike Elko, if he got that job, would do fantastic. And that's why I'm going to say they they land Lane Kiffin. I think that they are going to go hard after a big name like that. Um, there's some other really interesting ones. One that I think is not out of the realm of possibility is Lincoln Riley. I could see them you know, cutting him a big check and him saying, look, I got to go here. I got to make hiring a really good defensive coordinator a priority, starting over and seeing what he can do in the SEC. But I'm going to say they hire Lane Kiffin. I'm not going to give Jamie Chadwell to Mississippi State because I'm going to say Ole Miss hires Jamie Chadwell. And I think that has a lot of potential with what Lane will have left. And I'm going to give – I will say this before I get into who I say Mississippi State hires. That Jonathan Smith hire would be outstanding. And if you think about Mississippi State in the past, they've done a very good job of kind of going you know, out of what you would expect. When they hired Joe Moorhead, it didn't exactly you know, go the way they wanted it to, but it was a hire where everybody went. You know, we didn't see them being able to lean him, bring him to Starkville. You know, they've gone into the Pac-12 before and hired a, a head coach when they got Mike Leach from Washington State. Um, so that Jonathan Smith hire, I really like it. I may have to give you a lot of kudos if they sneak around and, and pull something off like that. And a big part of this, you know, Kip, you talked about this being surprising and maybe not fair to Zach Arnett, and I agree. Uh, but it boils down to they had a, they brought in a new athletic director in January, and I think he wants his guy and he wants to go get a big name. Um, so I think Chadwell's not going to land there. I'm going to say Troy's John Sumrall winds up being hired at Mississippi State. I think he'd do a very good job. Former Ole Miss assistant, he played at Kentucky. He's done a very, very good job at Troy, and he took over a mess with the Trojans. So uh, I think he will get the Mississippi State job. Um, you know, it's fun to throw out some of these, uh, you know, what ifs and potential scenarios. You know, I've seen some people talk about maybe Dion to Texas A&M. I think the most interesting situation and what would just be fun to watch would be if Lane does, in fact, get the Texas A&M job and Dion goes to Ole Miss. I mean, that would be uh, pay-per-view, prime time. We'd have to watch it all the time. Um, and just imagine what SEC media days would be like next year if uh, Dion Sanders was there. I was uh, I was expecting an Urban Meyer from somebody. I was expecting somebody to go, go out on the limb and take the two-time national championship winning coach, three-time national championship winning coach. I will throw out this, too. This is from the Auburn Observer's Justin Ferguson. We were talking on Sunday. What about Dabo to Texas A&M? So this goes into what you were talking about. Like, I think they're going to try and make a splash. And you mentioned Lincoln Riley. That was a name I almost threw out there. This one might sound crazy because he just made a weird move, but he's such a – I could see him doing this. Like, Brian Kelly. Like, I don't know how much money Texas A&M – like, how much money they actually have 
And again, how much that matters. Like, again, people will talk about the program and the history and all these things. It's like, when it comes down to it, people are looking at the finances of this thing and how much money can I make? How much am I going to be able to translate this into recruiting success? And I think there's a lot of programs out there and a lot of coaches that will look at Texas A&M job and say, man, I could maybe do more there than what I'm doing here. And I'm just really fascinated to see who those names end up being. Yeah. An opportunity. Yeah. Go ahead. Kip. I was going to say Mike Norvell. Let's, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I think if you're going to make a splash, he has the Seminoles on the rise. Obviously, uh, you know, the if you can get a, a coach who has a, a CFP contender um, this season, I think that that is kind of the splash that that you, you, you try to make. And he's already rebuilt. A, yeah, if you want someone who has experience rebuilding, a, you know, a, a, a Fisher program from the ashes, who else to choose than the guy who just did it? And he's, I mean – the fact he's also from Texas and, you know, he, he coached at Memphis, obviously. So that, that's a recruiting ground he had. He had a, you know, a cotton bowl appearance. I, I think right now, if you're Florida State, you're getting a little nervous because, you know, they're trying to compete with the other conferences. And there's a revenue gap, a sizable one. And he's making what, around $8 million right now? His buyout is only like $6 million. So uh, I think right now, I don't know who Mike Norvell's agent is, but this this is the time of the year where he's already told him, listen, no matter what, my coach is about to get paid. And so Florida State's probably getting a little nervous right now, thinking about, again, how much Texas A&M is willing to spend. If they want to make the splash higher, you, you go with the hottest the hottest head coach right now. You'll be uh, you'll be shocked to learn Jimmy Sexton is in fact Mike Norvell's agent. I'm glad Jimmy finally caught a break and mm. uh, has a big name that he can. Remember. Also, Dan Lanning's, Dan Lanning's uh, agent, I believe, as well. So he probably already you know already texted Lanning and said thanks. Uh, you know, I've got this. Don't say anything else. Uh, <laughs> I'll take care of my other clients since you, you're going. You're trying to you say you're not interested, but next time, don't say anything. Yeah, next time, don't say you don't care about a raise. <laughs> Tis the season for coaches to get paid, and we're going to be sure and keep you guys up to date with everything that goes on with these coaching searches and any other major ones that pop up in these next few weeks and months. Before we get out of here, Georgia Men's Basketball Minute. Very good news for Georgia since the last time we recorded. Two wins, 80-77 to over Wake Forest on Friday night, 64-54 to over North Carolina Central on Sunday that game on Sunday, not quite as pretty as that win over the Demon Deacons, um, but plenty of positives to take away. I think the way that they responded, particularly playing weight after a very, very rough showing against Oregon last Monday, has to give you a lot of hope, gives a lot of promise, um, and definitely sets them up well going forward. They've got to do a better job rebounding. This is not news to anyone who has watched this team. I believe they've been out rebounding all three games, including that North Carolina Central win have to get that figured out, and they're going to have to do it in a hurry. Friday, they will play Miami in the Bahamas. will be a very big matchup. I believe Miami is number 12 in the country. Uh, they are going to have their hands full play in that game. Then they will play either Kansas State or Providence, The uh, I think actually two days after that. So 
Uh, Going to be a very fun trip for the Georgia men's basketball team. Uh, made some calls uh, about maybe getting uh, put away in the in the uh, storage space on the plane. Maybe I can sneak on there. I don't think I'm going to be able to swing that trip to the Bahamas, uh, but we'll definitely let you guys uh, know about how that trip goes and uh, report on how things go for the Bulldogs. Uh, some recruiting news for the basketball front. On Sunday, Georgia lost out to Kanai Ruth's. Uh, a big-time power forward that committed to Michigan. Really felt like it was between the Bulldogs and the Wolverines. Uh, Kanai took his last trip, uh, last official visit before committing to Ann Arbor. Feels like that that really uh, put that over the top, and he chose Michigan. Uh, the name to watch now is Darian Reed, another big-time power forward, originally from Grovetown, Georgia. Uh, this is going to be a battle between Alabama and Georgia. He was getting ready to commit a few weeks ago decided to put off his decision. I've heard reports back and forth on who thinks they have the lead. I think the very biggest thing we can take away at this point is that it is a two-horse race between Georgia and Alabama. Georgia's done a very good job in recruiting by landing Asa Newell, uh, but they've been after some big fish, and it would mean a whole lot for the future of the program if they wind up winning out for Darian Reed, who has not set a commitment date yet. Uh, but is expected to announce sometime this month. So that will be something to watch in the coming days and the coming weeks. I think it's a, a good sign for Mike White's program that the Georgia basketball minute now takes three minutes. I think that that's uh, probably a, it's, he's 300% success rate on his program so far. Definitely the longest one so far. A lot, a lot of good news. And hey, maybe eventually they'll get their own episode. I think they're going to have to have at least like a seven or eight win streak. That's when we get to that point for sure. So we are going to wrap up the episode right there. Again, I want to make sure and remind people 10 a.m. Eastern time on Wednesday, Patrick Brown from Go Vols 24-7 will be on with me. We are going to preview Georgia, Tennessee, get a feel for this Volunteers team and what we expect to see in Neyland Stadium on Saturday. If you haven't already, go to dogs247.com, subscribe. You will get all the football news, all the football recruiting news, all the men's basketball news and recruiting news there as well. And go to dogs247 on YouTube. You'll see all the Kirby Smart press conferences, player interviews, Mike White press conferences, Georgia men's basketball player interviews, and the episodes of this podcast there. So for Kip Adams and Benjamin Wolf, I am Jordan Hill. Until next time, take care, everybody. Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.